we come to the end of a discourse that had been taking place between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus had performed a notable miracle in the casting out of a demon that was causing an individual to be both blind and mute. So the man could now see and speak. The crowds were amazed at what Jesus had just done and were saying among themselves, could this be the very Christ? The Pharisees heard the discussion and they wanted to dissuade the people from believing in Jesus. So they said, because they couldn't deny that such a notable miracle had taken place, they said, well, Jesus didn't do this by the power of God, but he did it by the prince of demons. This was a mighty display, not of good power, but evil power. Jesus then exposed their wickedness and the treachery by which they were saying such things. The Pharisees then replied, if Jesus would just give them a sign, they would believe. Then last week we saw that Jesus said, there is no sign that is going to be given you, but such as is the prophet Jonah. The Ninevites would rise up in judgment against that generation For the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah, and Jesus was greater than Jonah. The Queen of the South would rise up in judgment against that generation, for she sought the wisdom of Solomon, and the wisdom of Jesus is greater than Solomon's. Jesus now warns the people that to witness and even experience the power of God without believing in Jesus, is inviting disaster. Let me say that again. Jesus now warns the people that to witness and even experience the power of God without believing savingly in Jesus is inviting disaster. Our text is Matthew 12, 43 to 45. It's a rather curious portion of Scripture. It reads as follows. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. The passage which is before us seems quite curious. But basic to the understanding of this warning is to realize that some who had been healed and or had demons cast out of them were not truly regenerated. That is, born again or had placed saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. David L. Turner, in the Baker Exegetical Commentary on the New Testament, wrote, and I quote, It seems that the overall idea is that although a great multitude of Jews 
have profited from Jesus' healings and exorcisms, comparatively few have genuinely understood Jesus' message and repented, end quote. In other words, there were many people who experienced a transformation without a conversion. They had experienced change, but not spiritual life. They weren't really born again. That is worth a great deal of contemplation. How can that be? How can one witness and even personally experience such a mighty display of God's power and yet fail to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? In setting a background for this text, I'm going to actually go to another passage that we're going to spend a good part of our morning in just to prepare us to receive a simple thought about the passage we are in. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be there for a good portion of this morning. John chapter 6. The reason we are turning to this portion of Scripture is because we are given a very clear example of people who not only witnessed the power of Jesus, but actually experienced the power of Jesus, and yet failed to believe that he was the Son of God. So we begin by looking at what they experienced. John chapter 6, reading at verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. There's the picture. A large crowd was coming to Jesus because they had seen him perform signs. They saw him heal individuals. They were coming to Jesus, 5,000 strong. When Jesus sees them, he says, what are we going to give this crowd to eat? Peter says, well, how in the world are we ever going to buy enough food to feed this crowd? Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds 
5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. They all saw the power of God displayed, and they all experienced it. They each got to eat some of that food, and there were 12 baskets full left. The people initially respond and said that they believed that Jesus was the prophet that was prophesied in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Referring to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses declares that there is going to be one who comes, that great prophet in the future. These same people wanted to force their will upon Jesus. Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king. These people want Jesus to be their king. But the reason they wanted him to be their king, simply put, it was because they wanted him to provide for them. They did not want to subject themselves to his authority or to repent of their sins. In fact, they were not even concerned about what Jesus wanted, for it says in verse 15 that they were going to force, uh, to make him king. They were just going to do this even against his will. Verse 15, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now some of those 5,000 people who ate of the loaves and fishes, who wanted to make them, him their king, went looking for Jesus. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi... When did you come here? Jesus said that the crowd was not following him because they believed that he was the Son of God, but because they wanted more of their physical needs met. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not seeking me because you believe the signs that I performed. You just want the benefit of the signs. You just want your stomach filled. You just want me to continually multiply bread for you. Jesus then says to them that they should seek him not simply because he is able to provide physical food, but because of the spiritual food that he can provide. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, what do we need in order for this to happen? Jesus calls them to place their faith in him. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. They, in turn, demand another sign in order that they would believe. Verse 30. So they said to him, then, what sign do you do? Does this sound familiar? This is our passage all over again. Jesus had been performing signs. They were seeking Jesus because he performs signs. He feeds them. They eat. There's 12 baskets full left. Jesus calls them to place faith in him. They said, give us a sign and we will. They are, in fact, trying to manipulate Jesus into giving them what they want. Notice verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. They said to him, Give us this bread always. They're thinking about physical food. They're saying, Every day, multiply the loaves and the fishes. We'll believe in you. We'll trust in you. Just do this always. Jesus again says they do not believe. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus said, you don't really believe. They believed he could provide the food. They believed he could perform the signs. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God. Now their unbelief becomes apparent. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? How can he say that he's the son of God? How can he say he is from heaven? We know him. He's Joseph's son. He's not the son of God. Here were people who witnessed and experienced the power and the grace and the goodness of God, and they weren't converted. They weren't born again. They didn't come into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that shed light on our passage? Well, I submit to you that in our passage, Jesus is describing a situation in which a person has been exercised of a demon, but yet has not been truly 
converted, has not been actually born again. Jesus, and this is something that is very, very important to understand as you read the Gospels, is healing people sovereignly and graciously. Sometimes those people are believing in Jesus in a saving way. Many times they are not. We need to keep that in mind. Now Matthew 12, 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Jesus is warning this man who has just experienced this wonderful power and grace of God. He has gotten what he wants. The demons removed. He now can speak. He now can see. But Jesus warns him that this evil spirit needs to be replaced with something else, namely the Holy Spirit. This man now must savingly place his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't, Jesus says the end is going to be worse than the beginning. In John, the crowd came seeking bread, not life. Likewise, there were those seeking sight, not life, hearing, not life, the ability to walk, not life. In our text this morning, there were those who sought freedom from demons and the troubles they created, but were not seeking life. They were not repenting of their sins. They were not submitting themselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus had the power to heal, but failed to believe that he was the Son of God. They did not repent of their sins. They were transformed, but not converted. Changed, but not born again. The demon left, but the Holy Spirit did not come in. The house was swept, but it was empty. And Jesus teaches that when one is transformed without being converted, their end will be worse than their beginning. Verse 45. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So how does this passage relate to us today? There are people who are enslaved to destructive desires and behaviors. They have addictions. 
They have struggles. They have problems. They have difficulties from which they want to be delivered. They may seek Christian help. They may seek God's help in that deliverance. They may have troubles with their marriage. And they may seek a Christian counselor to help them get through the rough spots in their marriage. They may have a physical addiction of whatever sort. And they may turn to God to try to get rid of their addiction. They may have other destructive behaviors. And they want to change those behaviors. They may find themselves in a financial dilemma, a financial bondage. And they may turn to a Larry Burkett or a Ron Blue or a David Ramsey to try to get themselves out of their financial dilemma. And when they experience God's help and God's deliverance, they are completely satisfied and want to go no further in their relationship with God. Not dealing with their sinfulness, not dealing with the real issues that got them into the place that they were in, but simply wanting to be free from the struggles and difficulties that they faced. Second Peter gives us a scenario quite like the one I just described. Listen to these words. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So, Second Peter talks about a person who's enslaved to some kind of corruption. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from their holy commandment delivered to them. When the true proverb says what has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I personally have experienced and One couple stands out in my mind. I've been here for 30 years. And early on in my ministry, I was introduced to a couple that had some pretty severe marital problems. I counseled with them for a period of time, and they made great progress. They were much happier. Things were going much more smoothly for them, and the result was they quit their counseling. 
think they came to church once or twice, and they quit coming to church. Then about eight years passed. They're having pretty severe problems again. I get a call. They want to come and see me. We sit down. We had a number of weeks. We talked about what the scripture says. Talked about the claims of Christ. They got their act together. They started treating each other with greater respect, more kindness, etc., etc. They got what they wanted. I didn't see them again. Never darkened the church doors. All they wanted was their marriage to be better. About six years later, I get a phone call. Things are worse than ever. They come back. We go through the whole process again. Things are better. Don't darken the church door. Don't enter into a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. It happens time and time and time again. People wanting God's help but never really coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what are we to learn from this passage, and what are we to take away? Lessons. First, don't be overly excited about the multitudes that come to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Those who want help, but not conversion. Those who come to Christ for very selfish reasons. They may make great strides for a period of time. In fact, the transformations that take place may be truly remarkable and yet not be truly converted. God's word is powerful. God's word is truth. God's word is filled with wonderful, godly principles. Some of which can be entered into in nothing more than the will of the flesh. Just a decision that this is the way I'm going to conduct myself. This is the way I'm going to live And remarkable changes can take place. But unfortunately, they are going to be short-lived. We need to understand that that is quite, quite common. It's common in the New Testament. And it is the explanation of why it is that a crowd on the day of the triumphal entry is shouting Hosanna to the Lord, and then, in that same week, is crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Most of those that were crying Hosanna were not born again. They were not converted. They were caught up In the crowd, they were caught up in the moment, but they did not have a true saving faith.
There are those who want to experience freedom from the consequences of their sin. But they don't want to be freed from the guilt of their sin. And they don't want to acknowledge that what has brought them to the place is in fact sinful. They just don't like their life. And they want it to change. They have a specific agenda of what they want from God. And when they get it, that's all they want. They are looking for some kind of deliverance or help. They receive the help, and that is all that they are looking for. And they do not continue on with any kind of lasting, meaningful relationship to God. In our text is a man, and he has a demon, and he cannot speak, and he cannot see. And by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he now can see... And he now can speak. And now the critical question is, now what? Now you can see. And now you can speak. Where do we go from here? What's going to happen with your life from now on? The crowd is saying, could this be the Christ? The one who just did this? The man is saying, could this be the Christ? The one who set me free? The disciples are saying, no, that's not the Christ. That's the power of the evil one. Give us a sign. Jesus says, there's no other sign going to be given you. But then he gives a warning. After experiencing all of this, and you turn your back on the grace of God, and you fail to believe in me, He said, the end is going to be worse than what you experienced. Why is that? Because it hardens our hearts to the grace and goodness of God. It corrupts our understanding of who God is. And such people just go back to their former way of life with all of its hardships, with all of its struggles, and with all of its miseries. And it then is just compounded. Compounded. So what does that mean? Does it mean that we should not help people? Was Jesus wrong for casting out these demons? Of course not. These were signs. They bore witness to the truth of the gospel. It shows the reality of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We should seek to help people, whether they are converted or not. It is good to try to help people in their states of misery and distress and try to alleviate it. But it does mean we should not think because a person wants help that they are born again or that they want to be born again or that they are truly converted. People love handouts. People love to get rid of addictions. People like it when their marriages are going more smoothly. And unfortunately, many times, that's where it stops. It is a stark reminder to us that it is not merely enough to help with people's physical needs. As Christians, we ought to be concerned with the physical and material well-being of individuals. But we have robbed them if all we provide them with is the physical and material needs. They have an even greater need, and that is a need of a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. So let us first resolve in our hearts and minds that whatever we do to try to alleviate the physical, emotional, material needs of individuals, that we are going to be sure to address the spiritual need as well. So my first plea to you would be, If you give to charitable organizations to feed the poor, to help the oppressed, wonderful. But please give to an organization that is also going to be sharing the gospel with them. Not just a secular organization that's meeting their physical and material needs. They have more than physical and material needs. They need a saving relationship to Lord Jesus Christ. Let us purpose in our own hearts and minds that we minister to individuals and when we do so, that we are going to not just share food with them, but we are going to share the gospel with them. Something that is concerning me is that uh, theologically there's been a lot of emphasis and when I say concerns me, this part is good. There's been a lot of emphasis on what is being referred today as missional theology. Uh, The way to reach people is to go to them as opposed to an attractional model to try to get them to come to church. We need to go to them. That's, That's good. Also, The importance of meeting people's needs. That's good. Physical, 
material needs. What concerns me is more and more people are saying our witness is just that, meeting their physical and material needs. In that, we are having a witness. If our mouth is closed, we're not. Jesus said, if you give a person a cup of cold water in my name, it's not just enough to give them the cup of cold water. It must be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It must have the gospel going with it. We must be concerned that people aren't just being clothed and fed, but they are coming to faith. We also need to recognize our total helplessness in that whole process. We can't bring someone to faith. The whole passage in John is followed by, they can't come to me unless my father draws them, unless my father gives them. The point of the signs is to demonstrate that here is a man who is blind and he cannot speak. God, through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, can enable this man both to see and speak. We are to see that we are spiritually blind and we don't speak. But in coming to Jesus Christ, he can enable us to see and understand the truth of God's word and he can embolden us to declare the gospel message. This is talking about conversion. I'm going to take the application and move it 180 degrees in this direction. For those of us who are converted, we need to be very, very careful that we aren't just coming to Christ to meet our demands, our needs, our wants. And when we get that, we've said, okay, that's what I want from God this week. I'm done. to force him to be our king, to have a prayer list this long of demands and needs and wants, and fail to really make him our Lord and master in the way that we should. But I don't want to confuse things too much this morning. Because our passage really is about the unconverted. The unconverted. I believe that there are many, 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 many people who think that they are Christians 
who aren't. And the reason they think they're Christians is because at some point in some time in their life, they ran into a Christian that helped them. They were appreciative of the help. They acknowledged it came from God. But have never come into any kind of commitment to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, believing in a virgin birth, believing that he came down from heaven, believing any of that. And they are lost. They're lost. And more and more Christian ministries are seeking to gain influence simply by good deeds and actions. Nothing wrong with the good deeds and actions. Amen. Let's be filled with good deeds and actions. The men may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven, as Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But good deeds and good actions without the gospel is insufficient. It's not enough. And we could simply become facilitators in helping people actually get farther and farther away from God and deeper and deeper into sin without calling them to repentance and true saving faith in Jesus Christ. America is filled with example and example and example of people who are helped and then fallen, have momentary victories, but ultimately lives that are ruined because they don't come to grips with the sinfulness of sin and the need of forgiveness and repentance. It's a very sobering passage. Jesus says at the end of our section, verse 45, so also will it be with this evil generation. Jesus says it's a problem of his day. It's also a problem of our day. People looking for transformation without conversion. And I would say to anyone here this morning, if someone has ever said to you, you've got a problem, Give God a try. I pity you. That's not the gospel. 
And that's not a conversion. Our society is filled with self-help programs, Alcohols Anonymous, all these things, believe in a higher power. It's not the same as conversion. Of saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world, the one who can save us from our sins, we need to confess our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, who can give us a lasting victory over sin. You realize that these people that are healed are going to die of some other disease. The gospel is true and necessary for all time. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this morning to be committed to not simply helping individuals physically and materially and emotionally. But Lord, help us to be committed to sharing with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we live in a post-Christian society in which people recognize the value to some degree of Christianity and may go to a Christian counselor and may come to a church in a time of a need when there's a 9-11, when there's a school shooting, when a child has a high fever, when they've lost their job, when they have no other place to turn, they turn to you to get rid of the fever, to get a job, to live in a society that's safe and secure. But never ever places a saving faith in Jesus Christ who can take away sins and give them peace and joy forever. Oh Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes, help us to see and to understand, and open our mouths that we will proclaim the good news of the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.